God chose the leper when I went bad sin. God chose to die for me. Boom, five, eight. God chose the leper when I went bad sin. God chose to die for me. Boom, five, eight. God chose the leper. Chose the leper. God chose the leper. Chose the leper. God chose the leper. Boom, five. God chose the leper when I went bad sin. God chose to die for me. Boom five eight. God chose the leper when I went bad sin. God chose to die for me. Boom five eight. God chose the leper. Chose the leper. God chose the leper. Chose the leper. God chose the leper. Boom five eight. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving and you were extra grateful this week. We should always be grateful, but there's sometimes seasons of heightened gratefulness, gratitude. So today we're talking Sabbath. I know everyone's wondering, so just get right to it. You know, does the Sabbath apply to New Covenant believers? What's the actual application of the Sabbath in the New Covenant? Everyone wants to just jump to that. The problem with that kind of approach and just jumping the gun and going straight for application, which by the way, you like my fresh haircut from my wife. The problem with that approach is that you miss out on the foundational elements and the institution of Sabbath, which is what makes sense of the purpose and the application of Sabbath when it comes to the new covenant uh, believer's life. Okay, so here's kind of like today's outline real fast. We're going to talk about how God rested on, rested on the seventh day really fast. We're going to look at the Old Testament primarily. So we're not looking New Testament today. That will be Wednesday. Okay, so come back Wednesday. We'll talk about New Testament application as New Covenant believers. How should we function in relationship with the Sabbath? Um, we're going to talk about how the Old Testament talks about the Sabbath being uh, a day of no work. It actually is connected to the Feasts of Israel, um, different sacrifices, um, the Sabbath actually is related to the other laws, the Ten Commandments primarily. Um, we're going to talk about the seventh year and the year of Jubilee, briefly touching on that and how the Sabbath relates to that and actually makes way for that. Like Those are bigger versions of the Sabbath. Um, we're going to talk about how the Sabbath is to be a time of remembrance and that disobedience to the Sabbath in the Old Testament has a lot of <laughs> punishment attached to that. So God ain't messing around okay, when he institutes Sabbath and when he gives the Sabbath. And of course, there's the blender. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. My family's going to town in the kitchen only when I start my live stream. It is what it is. Okay, so when we talk about the Sabbath, we have to understand, and we'll get to Leviticus 25 right here, we have to understand that the word for Sabbath, Hebrew, Shabbat, I will be corrected by someone who actually speaks Hebrew. It means to cease. It means to rest, to stop, to desist. Um, and God models this kind of rest for us in the seven-day uh, creation account. So let me take you to Genesis chapter 2. 
this will be a lot of facts, a lot of information, a lot of stuff that you probably didn't understand about the Sabbath. And I hope that this will give you clarity on, I guess, uh, our relationship with the Sabbath now that we're in the New Covenant. You should have a concrete understanding of the foundation of Sabbath, and you should also understand how that applies to us now. Okay, so that, all I'm trying to give you is the information and the data, how to make sense of this, and then we'll talk Wednesday on New Testament application. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Okay, I understand that there's going to be a lot that I gloss over. I'm just trying to briefly skim through these different passages that touch on the Sabbath. This is going to be um, a pretty deep study for sure. Like, I looked at every single instance of the word Sabbath and seventh day and rest in the Old Testament. And this is what I came to conclude after studying. You go and do your own study after this. Don't at all just take mine and run with it. Go and think through what I'm saying. Uh, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Specifically, the work of creation. Okay, This is not just talking about God's overall work in the world. Now he's done. He's disconnected himself. He's distant, sitting on his throne, watching creation just, you know, descend into chaos. This is God actually finishing the work of ordering and structuring um, the world that he's given for humanity to rule under his authority. So God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day. Seventh day, God rests from all his work that he had done. In what? In creation. So God blesses the seventh day and made it holy. Because the work ceases, the work stops on the seventh day. At least the creation work of structuring and ordering and you know, setting boundaries and placing things where they, where they go. Okay, so because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. So I did not just read into the text just creation. It actually specifies that. And God rested from all his work he had done in creation. So it's specifically the creative work happening right there. Now, let's go to the Sabbath. Okay. So just to be clear, God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he's finished. He's done. Uh, this is exactly what we see Jesus do when he is crucified, hanging on the cross, and he cries out, it is finished with a loud voice, and he yields up his spirit. That's an imitation of the Father. Christ came uh, to do a work that the Father sent him to do. He finished that. And so he cries out, it is finished on the cross to be our high priest. And then he resurrects three days later. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, uh, seated, because his work as our high priest is finished. Uh, he still mediates. He's still our, you know, our covenant mediator. Right? He's still the one that represents all of humanity in him. But his work, his atoning work, of salvation is complete and finished. So God rests on the seventh day to make a point. So now we're going to look at the Old Testament. I'm going to take it to Exodus chapter 16. And this is where you're going to see this element. And all I'm going to do, okay, I've gone through all these different passages. And uh, if you're a patron and you're a monthly supporter of this ministry uh, and you really believe in what we're doing, you get all these notes completely accessible uh, to you for free. So if you're a patron, these will be given to you. What I've done is I've made a ton of uh, uh, bullet points about each passage as it regards the Sabbath. So uh, I'm not going to do as much explaining as I usually do. Usually I'm quite exegetical in terms of like assessing every element of the text. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just trying to address what is said about the Sabbath in relationship with what is said in you know the rest of that passage. So Exodus chapter 16, you're going to see this element of you know the Sabbath involves no work. So Exodus 16, verse 22, 
It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. So this is when God says, manna is going to come down on the sixth day, gather twice as much of the manna, um, so that that's enough for, to get you through to Sunday. So when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. So this is on Friday. Moses tells them this. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. It didn't stink and there were no worms in it. Right? So God preserves the manna that is left over into Sunday over the Sabbath. So Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. So God withholds the manna on the Sabbath. Okay, you won't find it out there because there's supposed to be no ordinary work done, gathering and, and you know, cooking and, you know, going out there and doing what is uh, self-preserving in nature. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Okay, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, right, rebellious, disobedient, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, and this is presumably through Moses to the people. This isn't directed at Moses. It doesn't seem to be. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let none of you go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. So I know everyone just wants to jump to the application. I can see it in the chat. Everyone just wants to know. So where do you stand with the Sabbath? I'm not getting there today. You, we have to lay the groundwork as with anything. So number one, we see that the Sabbath is a solemn day of rest right here. Sabbath, holy, solemn day of rest. It's a day to cease, to stop. It is unto the Lord for his glory in honor of him. Uh, the Sabbath will contain no opportunity to work for food. God specifically withholds manna so that the people, if they should disobey and go out and look for food because they didn't obey the previous command, there's nothing for them. Okay, so, and the Sabbath actually relies on um, manna from the day prior. So when you as an Israelite are uh, on a Saturday, just a typical Saturday morning, no kids WB, no cartoons, and there's no manna either, you should have enough manna from the day before to get you through to Sunday. And I think within this concept of, hey, God gives enough on Friday to get you through to Sunday, that in and of itself, especially the fact that it's manna, which Jesus will say he's the greater bread or the greater manna from heaven, I think Jesus here is foreshadowed very clearly as the bread that gets through um, or rather um, as the bread that ceases our labor um, and shows back up on Sunday to provide life for the people just like the manna did. In other words, remember when Jesus dies on Friday, he rests in the tomb Saturday and ends up resurrecting on Sunday. And he as our true bread of life, you know, gets us through, ceases our labor, ends our striving and working to find satisfaction in him. So uh, you'll also he see here that the Sabbath is a commandment. It's a law. Okay. Moses is, is commanded by God to give this to him. The Lord commands this. It's not an option. <laughs> it's not a, hey, if you feel like, no, the actual commandment is that this is a day to be observed as sacred and holy unto God. And notice how it's a gift. Um, where is it? Uh, Moses, you know, six day on the seventh day. How long will you see the Lord? The Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
So as it is a command, it is also a gift. Within God's commandments are a gift. Within God's commandments, within his rules and statutes are gifts. Okay, so the commandments of God aren't burdensome, they're a gift. And so I think because the Sabbath is a gift, um, God gives two days worth of manna on Friday. And so the Sabbath is a day of rest. No one goes out to work or strive to obtain or gain. No self-preserving tendencies. You rest. We'll look at what rest looks like as the text clarifies, as the law is going to clarify. The seventh day is a Shabbat, right? Ceasing, ending work. Stop. Trust him. And also the seventh day anticipates that final Sabbath day rest that Jesus will bring. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. Okay, let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. I told you we're going to cover like probably 50 passages, not even just scriptures, passages. So Exodus chapter 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now God is speaking to the Israelites. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work in what? In six days. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On that day, do no work. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or even the sojourner, the stranger, the foreigner within your gates. For in six days, and here's why. So now God is going to clarify why. Because in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he models for us rest. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so we see that the seventh day is the Sabbath. The seventh day. Because God models that in the creation account. He's, he's done with creating and structuring and ordering, right? And formatting the world, you might say. Putting things where they belong and setting up, you know, shop. And he stops. Seventh day ceases rests. Uh, the Sabbath day is to be observed and regarded as holy, right? Keep it holy. Keep it sacred. Regard it as holy. Observe the Sabbath day because God made it holy. So watch this. The day is already holy whether I keep it sacred or not. Whether I regard it as holy or not, if I'm an Israelite in ancient Israel, okay, whether or not I keep the day holy doesn't change the holiness or the set-apartness of that day. So the Sabbath day will have no work. Why? It's set apart unto God. He models for us rest. He models for us what it looks like to cease from working. And within that, there's wisdom. Sabbath day involves no work for anyone. Even the stranger, even the sojourner and the foreigner within Israel. That's interesting. Okay. So the Sabbath day is also blessed. God blesses the Sabbath day, hallows it, sanctifies it, sets it apart because it marks the end of of the creation work. So the sacredness of the seventh day is connected to God's work of creation. You got to see that. Exodus chapter 35 verse 1 through 3 is our next text. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and he said, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. So again, here's a command. Six days work shall be done. On the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Why? Because you're modeling or you're imitating your father who rested on the seventh day. It's in obedience to him. It's in honor to him. It's a day set apart to him. Um, and frankly, it's good for you to rely on him and trust in him. 
I think the Sabbath forces people to remember that God sustains them, not themselves. So it's holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, there is a scripture that's uh, cross-referenced here. It's Exodus 16. Um, Exodus 16, 23. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake, boil what you'll boil, all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. And so the fire, the kindling of the fire here, seems to be connected to the cooking, to the preparing, to the, I didn't do what I was supposed to do on Friday, so now I got to actually like cook today on the, on the day of rest when God said not to. So that's typically where people will go when they talk about how there shall be no kindling of fire. And it seems super restrictive, super burdensome. I also want to give this idea. I, I do agree that the Sabbath day is a day where you rest and you have prepared for that day uh, what you'll eat the day before. So the day before I prepare, I cook, uh, I, I you know kindle a fire to, to boil and bake what I will eat the next day. Because the next day apparently involves none of that kind of work. None of that kind of food preparation or cooking. I did that the day before. But also, so the Sabbath day food was to be prepared before uh, on, on Friday. I also think someone should bring up this. Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. Um, you have a guy not regarding the Sabbath as holy, collecting sticks, uh, apparently planning to kindle fire, and they kill him. Capital punishment. You disobey the commands and the laws of God as our king. There's capital punishment. So while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. What's he doing out there? Well, he's gathering sticks. Oh, he must be like planning to cook. He must be planning to bake or boil. He must be planning to do that kind of work that God said is not for the Sabbath day. I also I think potentially there's an element of something else going on. Uh, verse 33, those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. So notice the nature of progressive revelation, how, how wisdom is slowly, progressively unveiled in specific situations, right? They don't yet have clear instruction for this kind of situation. Now God gives it. The Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Now that sounds harsh for just gathering sticks and not doing what God said to do on the Sabbath. You know, my guy is just trying to apparently cook food, right? That's all he's doing, right? I think there's something a little more devious and wicked going on, potentially, potentially. Okay, all the congregation brought him outside the camp, stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Look at, God is verifying the fact that the Sabbath institution is in fact a divine command. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God is verifying, validating the commands he gives by punishing those who transgress it. Because if they just continue to transgress and disobey his laws and there's no punishment, it seems like God's bluffing. It seems like this isn't a divine command at all. So God verifies it, puts the blue check on that, right, Twitter? And he actually verifies that, yeah, this is my command. And here's how you know people who violate it are, they experience punishment, there's consequences. But... Let me take you to Jeremiah 7.18. This is kind of off the topic of Sabbath for a moment, just for a brief moment. There is indeed like strict punishment for a violation of God's command, right? You violate the Sabbath, there are punishment. There's punishment and consequences. Um, 
Jeremiah 7.18, it says, Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah? Verse 17, rather. And in the streets of Jerusalem, God's speaking to Jeremiah. Because he's saying, don't pray for them. I will not hear you. I've already determined what to do to them. Do you see what they're doing? The children gather wood. The fathers kindle fire. The women, the women need dough and they're making cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Huh. So interesting. I, I'm not saying just because the language is similar that that absolutely indicates the guy in Numbers 15 is for sure committing idolatry. But look at what's happening here. The people of Israel gathering wood for fire, kindling fire, it's in, uh, you know, disobedience to God. It's to worship false gods. It's idolatry. They're intending, they're planning to commit idolatry. And a lot of what they're doing is actually, you know, killing their children and sacrificing their children to the false gods. And so I'm not saying that's for sure what's happening here, but they're at least uh, preparing food offerings and sacrifices to the gods of the pagan nations, to the queen of heaven. Um, and so the, the idea of kindling a fire and gathering wood might be connected to um, actually idolatry. Like the guy who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he also planned potentially to actually give himself over and offer sacrifices to a false god. Is that consistent with uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament? Absolutely. That's, that's not a new concept. They do that all the time, so that's entirely consistent. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 27, it says, If you don't listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, notice, uh, and, and not to bear a burden, enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So just like people are kindling a fire in disobedience to God, whether that includes idolatry or not, there's a potential for that. But the point is that God kindles a greater fire. It's called the, the fire of judgment. Right? So God answers fire with fire in terms of breaking his Sabbath. Um, and we saw that in Numbers 15.32. Leviticus 24.5-9. And don't worry, at the end of this, I'll do a whole recap. Like I'll go through an actual list of everything that we've, we've seen regarding the Sabbath. Okay, I think we're starting to get a flavor for how seriously God takes the Sabbath day when he gives it to Israel as a gift and a command, or a gift in the form of a command. Leviticus 24, it says, You shall take fine flour, bake 12 loaves from it. Okay, Now we're about to see the kind of work the high priest and the actual priesthood is still doing on the Sabbath. In other words, ordinary work ceases. Yeah, Ordinary common work stops on the Sabbath day. But there's still the holy work set apart unto God that's happening on the Sabbath. And Jesus even references that. And he goes, like, in some sense, like, aren't, aren't the priesthood violating the Sabbath, right, by doing all this stuff? And we'll get to that when we get to that on Wednesday. I'm not saying Jesus accused the priest of violating the Sabbath. He's, he's working with their category of violation. And he's making sense of why they're dumb. <laughs> Leviticus 24, this is the priesthood, the high priest's actual responsibility uh, Sabbath day. You shall take fine flour, bake 12 loaves from it. Okay, two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. All right, so we've got 12 loaves being prepared and baked. You shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. So here we have the table of showbread, or what some refer to as the bread of the presence. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, which you think, hey, didn't the, the wise men 
bring uh, frankincense to Jesus. Yep, had to do with burial. So you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Now watch. Okay, so this right here, these uh, 12 loaves being prepared and baked, okay, with frankincense on each pile, it's a food offering to the Lord. It's a memorial portion. Every Sabbath day, okay, I got to highlight this, Aaron, the high priest, shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. So it seems like the preparation and the baking might not be on the actual Sabbath, but the arranging of it before the Lord regularly, that does happen on the Sabbath. Aaron is doing that every Sabbath day. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. Okay, Now that's something you should hold on to. Because there are some things where God will refer to as an eternal covenant. Or this is an everlasting thing. And then we go, oh, it applies in the same way all throughout human history. And it never changes forms in terms of application. That's not true. There's a lot of what God says is, this is a, a covenant or an established command or it's an everlasting thing. And it is eternally true, but eternally true things that find their substance in Christ will often take a different form and take on a different application in a different season. So we have to note this, that the actual command given to Aaron here is a forever thing. Hmm. It shall be for Aaron and his sons. Okay, so the bread they've prepared and baked, which is a, uh, you know, the table of showbread, bread of the presence unto the Lord, they get to actually enjoy it. It's for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. I want you to see that the Sabbath day doesn't stop certain works of the high priest, because there's still sacrifices happening. So the high priest and his sons and the Levites who are priests, their work, their holy set-apart work, that doesn't stop on the Sabbath day. Um... The high priest still does his work on the Sabbath, okay, which doesn't at all violate the Sabbath command. Because actually God commands on the Sabbath, do this. So it involves the table of showbread, bread of the presence, and the priest are, get to share in this holy portion that's, that's given to the Lord. Um, so God actually shares it or gives it to the high priest. Okay, The Sabbath is actually tied to, I want you to, to note this, the Sabbath itself, here we see that it's actually tied to the bread um, that the high priest and his sons get to enjoy. That is a part of the Sabbath itself. Um, that the, the rest of the people who, who are not part of the priesthood and are not a part of the, the, the line of Aaron, they don't get to enjoy this specific food offering to the Lord. They don't, God doesn't share it with them. Okay, So even within the Sabbath, which is a set-apart day, there is set-apart work to be done by people who are set-apart within the set-apart nation itself. There's almost like degrees of increasing set-apartness. Um, and here we see the work of Aaron and the high priesthood is not ordinary. So you're going to see that the Sabbath actually is a reminder of the, the distinction between clean and unclean, common and uncommon. Um, and I think we're starting to get a flavor for that, that that's something that's happening. God is actually distinguishing between common work, ordinary work, and set apart, sanctified, holy, you know, spiritual work uh, of the priesthood to tend to the service and, you know, do the things in the tabernacle, in the temple that are on behalf of the nation. Exodus chapter 31 is also going to mention the Sabbath.
Okay. Verse 12, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel. Okay. This is what he wants them to say. Above all, keep my Sabbaths. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Who is this a sign between? It's between God and the nation of Israel. And you go, this is a sign between the spiritual seed of Abraham, those who have the faith of Abraham. It doesn't say that. It actually says it's a sign between, he's saying to Moses, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So it's a sign between God and the nation of Israel and it's of what? What does it indicate? What does it remind them of? Well, one of the things is they should be reminded that it is the Lord who sanctifies them, sets them apart for holy use, calls them out of the world, and makes them a holy nation set apart to himself. God does that. So their identity as the set-apart nation of, of Israel from the rest of the nations, their identity that it is, is remembered in the Sabbath. The Sabbath testifies to or reminds them of their unique identity as the chosen nation of God, which again is not to the exclusion of the other nations. It's going to actually bless the other nations. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from his people, which is like ending that person. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a day of solemn rest. Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Notice the distinction between Sabbath and seventh day. Um, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Put to death. Just to be clear. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Okay? So there's a covenant forever for those that like to just run with that and never think through what they're saying. The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever. Who is it, who is it between? Between me and the people of Israel. It's also a sign that what? That in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. Now I'm not saying anything about application to new covenant believers and Gentiles. All I'm saying right now is that God is explicitly, clearly saying... <laughs> That the covenant he's making, Sinai covenant, is marked or, or uh, the sign of that is the, is the Sabbath between him and Israel. And it's a sign, not just that he sanctifies them and sets them apart, but also that he set apart the seventh day in creation. So he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony. The tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So how does God, remember when God is giving the Ten Commandments, and he's writing on the tablets um, the first time before Moses breaks the tablets going down. When God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, this is how he ends that giving of the Ten Commandments. It's how he ends his speech. So number one, the Sabbath is a sign between Israel and God. Throughout their generations, which sounds a lot like the covenant of circumcision given to Abraham. Because remember Genesis chapter 17 the, the minute people hear a sign forever, an everlasting covenant, okay, they don't really think through what they even mean. They just go, ah, it's forever. In what dimension? How? What does that mean? Genesis 17, God institutes the covenant of circumcision. God says to Abraham, as for you, keep my covenant. 
you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. God always clarifies who he's making a covenant with. It's not, we're not like wondering, are we a part of that? God is making it clear. This is between me and you, Abraham, and your offspring. Okay? Physical circumcision. Now, we know about spiritual circumcision. Romans 2, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah. We know that. God is not mentioning spiritual circumcision, though, which is testified by physical circumcision. He's talking about actual physical, you know, action of circumcision. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your skins. Y'all going to be tired of me saying that word. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. When God makes a covenant, there's a sign. There's a, there's a physical symbol Something that is, you know, uh, uh, memorializing that covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house, bow with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house, he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So anyone who is a part of the actual physical house of Abraham. It doesn't mean they have the faith of Abraham. It just means they are physically a part of his family, his household. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Let me ask you something. And you guys work, work this out yourselves. Did physical circumcision as a sign of the covenant cease when Christ came? Is that a symbol of the new covenant? Physical circumcision. Is that a sign of the new covenant we have in Christ? Is this a requirement? Is this something we have to do? For those of you that would say, no, Romans 2, no, Ezekiel 36, no, Hebrews 8 and 10. It talks about the spiritual circumcision of the heart. And the physical circumcision was just, you know, uh, uh, a, a physical symbol of the spiritual reality Christ would bring. Where he'd remove a heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh. Okay, so God does say it's an everlasting covenant. In their flesh. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. God does say it's a what? An everlasting covenant. So you got to work that out. And all I'm saying is if, is if you can say, well, this everlasting covenant uh, in Christ fulfilled, now it's spiritual circumcision, then I would venture to say, how can you for certain say, that the Sabbath being instituted as a covenant forever, as an everlasting sign, how that, how is that for sure not at all going to be likened or paralleled to the covenant of circumcision made with Abraham? So uh, all I'm saying is if God says something is everlasting, you and I jump the gun and assume he means something rather than think through it and read and study and go, what does he mean by everlasting? Like, well, at least for sure, everything God says is eternally true. It finds its substance in Christ. The truthfulness of God's commands, uh, of course, ring true throughout all human history. But the application of certain truths in certain contexts, certain environments, and certain times of human history, it is true that God... Um, I'm trying to think of the best example that I can give. Um, let me think through that, and then I'll get back. Let me get back to Sabbath. Then I'll think about what it is I'm trying to say. Okay. So back to Exodus 31. I will bring it back to that. Don't worry. The Sabbath is a reminder right here that it is God who sanctifies or sets apart the nation of Israel. Um, 
So not only is the day set apart, but the people are set apart. And so the two are connected. There's a set apart day for a set apart people um, in a world that is, you know, given over to corruption and sin and depravity. So the Sabbath can also be profaned right here. Whoever profanes it shall be put to death. And capital punishment is um, the, the punishment for that. And to profane the Sabbath, one of the ways we know for sure it can be profaned is to straight up disobey God and do ordinary work on that day. That's not the only way the Sabbath can be profaned. We're going to see that in a little bit. But so far, that is the main way. Everyone who profanes it by doing any work on it, right? They're cut off from the people. The Sabbath is a day of rest, holy to the Lord. It's to be kept and observed. Um, right here. Oh, I, I guess here's another, here's what I was trying to say earlier. When God says something, it's true. And then when I say, well, the, the application of that truth at different points of human history might change. You go, oh, so you're undermining the truthfulness of God. No, I'm saying what he said is true. Did God say that the Levites are appointed to be the priesthood? Did, did God say that you have to be an actual descendant of, of Aaron to be a part of the, to be a, a high priest in Israel? Is that a command God gave? Is it true? Absolutely true. Hebrews will tell us though that there was a change in the law and a change in the priesthood. So because there's a change in the law and the priesthood, the application of certain truths or principles or laws in one season of human history takes on a different form now in the new covenant because Christ fulfills it. Okay, And we've talked about that. So there is definitely a category for things that God says, which are true. Is it still true that God did appoint the, um, the Aaron and his family to be the high priesthood? For sure. Absolutely. Is it true that while well, now only those who descend from Levi can be the high priest? No, Jesus is a high priest and he descends from Judah. Um, so go work that out. Have fun. The Sabbath is a sign forever of the covenant between God and Israel. In other words, this sign, the Sabbath symbol, it actually stands as a witness um, to the fact that God rested on the seventh day right here. Remember, it's between me and you that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So part of God resting includes a refreshing, okay? And God is inviting people, specifically the nation of Israel here, he's inviting them into that refreshment, into that being energized and refreshed by actually obeying the Sabbath day command and resting on the seventh day. So in other words, the Sabbath is tied to the Sinai covenant because it's a sign of the covenant between the people of Israel. And the Sinai Mosaic Covenant is the covenant God made between him and Israel. Okay. What's interesting is that the Sabbath wasn't instituted or given to the patriarchs or anyone before Moses. And I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just stating a fact. The Sabbath reminder also is the way God ends the giving of the, the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. He really emphasizes that as the sign forever of that covenant he made between him and Israel. And this is why I believe uh, we can probably like jump to Romans 9 through 11 here. We can jump straight to Romans 9 through 11 and be like, see, God's not done with Israel. But uh, we're focusing on Sabbath right now. So can't do that. The second thing you're going to see is not just that the, the Sabbath has to do with the seventh day. It's imitating the rest of God. It involves no work, right? But also you're going to see it's actually connected to the feasts. The seven or 
if you want to say eight feasts of Israel, if you want to claim the Sabbath as a feast itself, which technically you can, okay, the Sabbath is connected to the feast observances. So the Jewish calendar functions different than the typical you know, Western calendar. The calendar that we run on, or just the, the global calendar, you might say, our modern calendar, functions differently than the actual Jewish calendar, right? And so there are different feasts that God has appointed or scheduled throughout the year to remind the people of Israel they belong to him. Okay, so uh, Exodus 34, we're going to see in verse 21 that, um, well, let's just read it. God says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall what? Rest. In plowing time, in harvest, you shall rest. In other words, the Sabbath is not conditioned upon the season. It's a constant command in every season for Israel. So you can't go, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's harvest time, God, you know, rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks. In other words, there's no pressure from the seasons to drive the Israelites. In other words, they don't succumb to the pressure of whatever season they're in to, to determine whether they're going to obey the Sabbath. It's a constant, consistent command all throughout, um, well, every season. He says, you shall observe the Feast of Weeks. Um, Feast of Weeks being uh, Pentecost, the first fruits of wheat harvest. This is another feast. First fruits, the feast of first fruits, you might call it, and the feast of ingathering. Right here. Boop. Okay. At the year's end. And uh, I think uh, it's not. Yeah, the feast of ingathering is the feast of booths or tabernacles. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be mixing them up. But either way, here are three specific feasts that God gives Israel. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord, the God of Israel. So specifically with these three feasts, the men of Israel would appear before the Lord at the appointed place where the tabernacle resided or where the Ark of the Covenant resided. Uh, For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So these aren't the only feasts. There's the, the Passover feast. There's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's the Feast of Trumpets. There's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Um, so these aren't the only feasts, but specifically these three are the ones where they will actually um, go and appear before the Lord God of Israel. Uh, bah, 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 bah. So what we see about Sabbath here is the Sabbath is connected to the Feast of Israel. You're gonna, we're going to see that in a deeper way in the next passage. Um, It's connected to, or it's related to the tabernacle, temple presence of God among his people, like the physical presence of God um, and the celebratory feasts that accompany that. Um, And then Leviticus chapter 23 is we're going to see some more details on what it means that the Sabbath is connected to the actual feasts of Israel. Okay. So six days shall work be done. How many days? Six. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. That's why people will typically refer to the uh, Saturday as the Sabbath, okay? And, and I think the Bible does too, but there's also, like, it is a Sabbath. The seventh day itself is a Sabbath. And so the concept of Sabbath, the day of solemn rest, a set-apart sanctified day, um, that won't just be restricted to the seventh day, which is appointed to be a unique Sabbath. We're going to see that on specific feast days, there are what I call functional Sabbaths, or what most people call high, high Sabbaths. Okay, a holy convocation, you shall do no work. 
it is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Um, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, or just think gatherings, right? Communal gatherings where we collectively are coming before the Lord as a congregation, as the people of Israel, right? Again, to the nation of Israel. Which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So there are appointed times to celebrate or gather um, for these appointed feasts. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So there's another feast. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, To the Lord, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So that's a seven-day feast. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation and do no ordinary work. Okay. And you go, hmm, that sounds like the Sabbath. Isn't the Sabbath day a day where there's no ordinary work and it's a day of holy convocation and rest? Yes. But here we see the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is going to be a, a, a Sabbath but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day also, so the first and the seventh day, is going to be a holy convocation, do no ordinary work. So, what I want you to see is, and that's why it, it, he leads into the feast right after the Sabbath. Um, so it goes Sabbath, boom, you know, observe it, honor it, here the feast, here's the Passover, here's the feast of unleavened bread. So, what Leviticus does is it uh, connects the Passover with these feasts. The Sabbath does have a personal and communal element to it, as we saw right here, right? So they are meeting in their own their dwelling places, but there's also a holy convocation. It's a communal thing. It's a collective effort as the nation of Israel to observe this, but it's also my individual responsibility. It's personally up to me whether I will observe or honor that, right? So there's a holy there's a holy set apartness to that day. Will I? Uh, also obey that with the rest of my fellow Israelites. So the Sabbath is related to the feast days in the Jewish calendar, right? So the reason I bring this up is because the feasts are observed in such a way as to function as a Sabbath, like the first and the seventh day of the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's one of the examples, right? Which shows, I think we'll see this a little bit more, that the Sabbath day rest and the, the, the no ordinary work, those kinds of elements of the, of the Sabbath, that those aren't just restricted to the seventh day Saturday itself. The appointed feast days are actually going to function as a Sabbath. Um, and so there's to be no ordinary work, but they do bring food offerings to the Lord, um, which is not ordinary work. We're going to look at the actual feastal guidelines the actual, like, here's the instructions for how to actually celebrate and what you do on these appointed days. We'll look at that in 2 Chronicles 2 and Deuteronomy 28. But I'm just trying to show you there are different kinds of work. There's ordinary work, common work, and then there's holy set-apart work that the priesthood would engage in. Appointed feast days, right, or periods involve um, a kind of Sabbath observance, even if it's not on Saturday. In other words, the way you would function on a normal Saturday Sabbath, on certain feast days, even if they're not on Saturday, you would function as if it was a Sabbath day. That's why they're called high Sabbaths. And so the day of rest or the concept of rest and no ordinary work and ceasing, that's associated with the feast and the celebrations. Um, 
And so what we will see is that within the feasts and within the Sabbath itself, there's an anticipation of the final Sabbath day rest that Jesus brings, right? Uh, there's a reminder of the coming true Sabbath rest. And it's almost like when you engage in Sabbath, when you engage in these feasts, when you observe these days, uh, you're practicing for that day. It's as if the true Sabbath rest has invaded this, this reality, right? Which is not rest, by the way. This world is broken, tainted by sin, corrupted. God's going to come and fix that. And we, you know, nation of Israel, when they actually engage in the feast and the Sabbath days, there's this idea of we are functioning like we are in the true, you know, full eternal rest. But it's not yet. It's not yet. It's like we're practicing. Um, so the Sabbath day rest, the feast, as we'll see with the year of Jubilee, they were all foreshadowing the future eternal rest God brings in his son. So let me take you to the actual um, kind of clearer instructions on what to do on these appointed feast days. Second Chronicles 2, 4 through 5, it says, Behold, I'm about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God and dedicate it to him for the burning of incense of sweet spices before him. And before the regular arrangement of the showbread and for burnt offerings, morning and evening, on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed feasts of the Lord, our God, as ordained forever for Israel. Okay, so the, the house that Solomon's building, that's going to relate to what? To the Sabbath. So the Sabbath has a very close connection to the actual tabernacle, physical, you know, dwelling place of God among his people. And the reason for that is because it involves burnt offerings. Uh, as we'll see that there are sacrifices made on Sabbath, on new moons, on the appointed feast days, and they take on different forms depending on the kind of feast or the day. Um, for instance, I think on the Sabbath, Deuteronomy 28 will say that the, the, the sacrifices are doubled. So typically every day there's a burnt sacrifice in the morning and in the evening. But on the Sabbath, um, in Deuteronomy 28, we're going to see what this really looks like. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you, right? And overtake you. That's a good thing. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Notice what this blessing is going to be connected to. Not just the overall general commands of God, but a specific one. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you. Um, where is it? Sorry, I'm just realizing something. Hold on. Might have mistyped something. I'm out of order. Give me one sec. Did I mistype? No. What? That can't be it. Hmm. Say to them. Ah. Hold on. Please. Ah. Okay. That's why. We'll get to that later. I was out of order. Boop. 
We'll get to the blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. Right? There's appointed time for these food offerings. You shall say to them, This is the food offering you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old without blemish, every single day. That's a regular offering. One lamb shall be offered in the morning. One shall be offered evening, twilight. Okay. Tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering as well. Right? So the food offering does involve the meat and the grain mixed with a quarter of beaten oil. That's the food offering. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hin for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. Okay. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Um, like the grain offering of the morning and like its drink offering, offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's the normative daily uh, you know, requirement for offerings. Watch the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering, this is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So this is alongside that. The Sabbath seems to increase the sacrifices. Two male lambs, a year old without blemish, that's the actual Sabbath day offering, burnt offering for the Saturday. That's besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering, not on other days, but on that same day. Okay, so the Sabbath does still involve priestly work of sacrifices, of the people of God bringing animals, um, assuming that, you know. And so the sacrifices on an average day seem to be increased a bit on Sabbath. Just to show you that uh, there's a concept that the Sabbath involved everyone just sitting on rocks looking at each other going, isn't God great? There was the communal aspect. There was a collective effort to honor God together and abstain from ordinary work. But the priestly, sanctified, set-apart work, which is distinguished from ordinary work, that work still continues on the Sabbath. And I think that's very important to understand as it relates to what Jesus um, will do with the Sabbath. And we'll talk about that Wednesday. Second Chronicles 31.3, more clear instruction. Uh, the contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings. The burnt offerings of morning and evening and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So the king of Israel is supposed to be contributing to these offerings, to these sacrifices, especially to the feasts and the Sabbath requirements for, for food offerings. Okay. So I'm just trying to show you that the work of God's house doesn't stop on the Sabbath. Uh, Nehemiah 10, 32 through 34. Um, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. So there is a distinction between work that is done, spiritual priestly work, versus common ordinary work that the typical Israelite would be engaging in on a daily basis. 
that kind of work stops. But the priestly work on the house of God continues. Um, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering uh, to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Okay? So the law actually does command this to continue. Um, and I, I think to function as a priest, all of this, no matter what, we can say all of this points to Jesus. All of this finds its substance and fulfillment in Christ. Um, Leviticus 16, get to Day of Atonement and how the Sabbath relates to that. It shall be a statute to you forever. Forever. If you get it, you get it. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day, afflict yourselves. Bum, bum, bum. Remember how I said the statutes forever? Okay. Here's another one of those examples. Afflict yourselves, do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. On this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. How does that happen? Well, it requires the temple or tabernacle. It requires the actual physical presence of God dwelling within that temple or tabernacle. It requires the priesthood. It requires animal sacrifices. On this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. That's God's prescribed way of cleansing the people of Israel, not from intentional sin, but from the ritual impurity that would otherwise cause them to not be able to dwell in the presence of God. So it's, it's unintentional sin. It's, it's, you know, not the high-handed stuff. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. I know this is all your sins here. I could pull it up real quick that the Day of Atonement... Because it sounds like contradiction or something. Uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's Leviticus. Sorry, I just figured I should go here real quick. Hmm, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden. Uh, you must bring a young goat. Okay. I think it's in Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 9.22. Hold on, let me go here real quick. You know, it's like just dead stop. I just really want to look at this. Right here. Bum, bum, bum. Found it. It's not inconsistent with the Old Testament, by the way. This Hebrews clarifying. So, you know, the author of Hebrews looking back at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the high priest goes in just once a year, not without taking blood. He offers that blood for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Okay, um, So our conscience can never be perfected by those offerings. And so what we see in the Day of Atonement and in the animal sacrifices is a lesser version of what Christ brings. He cleanses the conscience. He cleanses us of all sin. Um, 
I think all here should be all unintentional just to be clear. But it is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. Okay? It is a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. So look at this. For those of you that are like, the Sabbath is a command forever. What do you mean, man? Like that it always applies to people the same way throughout human history? What about the Day of Atonement? It does. And now people, people do observe Yom Kippur. I, I know that. People do observe the Day of Atonement, to, at least as far as they can. Um, but the bottom line is that the original institution of the Day of Atonement did require animal sacrifices, the temple, the priesthood. You take those away, what do you have? Um, so I think the Day of Atonement, all we can do now in the New Covenant is go, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He cleanses us. I'm not looking to that day to bring a kind of cleansing. If anything, I should be have a heightened awareness of the already cleansing I have in Christ. What does the Day of Atonement do anymore for us? It, more of a reminder. But the statute, statute forever that God indicates is that there is, a, is an, an affliction. Hebrews says there's a reminder every year of sin in the Day of Atonement. That's what it's purpose to be is a reminder of your inability, Israel, a reminder of your rebellion, a reminder of your own wickedness and your need for God's righteousness and help. That's a statute forever that the Day of Atonement does this. So the question then becomes, if this is a statute forever, just like Sabbath, just like, you know, covenant of circumcision, if this is not uh, in full force anymore, it can't, or it can't function the way it used to, well, then is, is it not true that this is a statute forever? No, it is. It's true all the time. That God instituted this. It's true all the time in Christ. I think that's that's why I, I want to clarify when when something is true forever, and, and especially if it's fulfilled in Jesus, it is absolutely not just still true, but the truth that it finds its completion in Christ, it it, it almost becomes it reaches its completion, not to stop being true, but to stop applying a certain way. Whether you look at the priesthood, whether you look at the animal sacrificial system, whether you look at, I mean, we could sit here all day, talk about all kinds of stuff that fit under that category. But the point is, um, I, what is happening out there? My children found popping bubbles. That's what happened. So I, I didn't want to go down that tangent too long. The point of this is just to show you the Day of Atonement is a command forever in the seventh month on the 10th day. It's a Sabbath day of rest and affliction. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. Now watch this. Even if uh, uh, the day of atonement falls not on a Saturday and you go, whew, it's not the Sabbath. No, it still is. If it falls on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, a Sunday, it's still to function as a Sabbath to you. Um, so it's a day to afflict self. Notice how the Sabbath day of rest is still paired with a day of affliction, a reminder of sin, a reminder that we don't meet the standard of God, a reminder that we fall short, a reminder that we need God and we're wicked and rebellious, the nation of Israel. That's paired with a rest, a ceasing of work, a stopping to also realize the condition of the human soul without God, which is depravity. So, this is a statute forever that on this day, Day of Atonement, seventh month, 10th day, Jewish calendar, on that day, God says, I will cleanse the people. I will clean you from your sins. By what means? 
by the sacrificial system and the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood and the tabernacle. That's the method. But now that finds its climax or reaches its, 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 its completion in Christ, who does something way better. It's as if the mantle has been passed to the greater day of atonement, to the greater one who brings a greater cleansing and a deeper soul level, you know, uh, cleansing of our conscience. Jesus is the, the greater version of this. This is always testified to him. So now that we have him, it's like, is it a statute forever still? Well, I think in order for this to be, to function now the way it used to in that capacity, there would have to be all these elements present. And this doesn't mean you can't, you know, uh, celebrate the Day of Atonement in terms of, let's recall what Christ has done. Let's remember he cleanses us. Let's, re let's have a, a day of rest. You can still do that. But is it still functioning the way it used to? It doesn't seem to be. Because it's not bringing any kind of ritual cleansing that has to do with the temple presence of God anymore. Um, you are the temple. We are the temple. We are cleansed collectively as the people of God. So um, Jesus has fulfilled and achieved the end of the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur finds its completion in Christ. Now, I know there are others who would venture to say otherwise. Um, I'm just reading the text for what it says. Um, that it's a statute forever, and yet, can't really do it. So it's like, God, you know, you said it's forever. Are we still supposed to be doing this? We're not really sure. The application of things and, and the actual uh, form commands take in human history will adapt. And I'm not saying truth is this flexible thing where it's like, I don't know. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, water down the truthfulness of God's word. To say something is true uh, or to say something functions now differently than it did in the, in the past um, with the priesthood, with the temple, with the animal sacrifices. It doesn't make it less true. That's what I'm trying to get people to understand. Um, we're not saying anything is less true. We're saying it, it takes on a different uh, application or functions differently now that it's fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Leviticus 26.2, it says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. What I want you to see is that there is an intentional connection between the Sabbath observance on a typical Saturday and the honoring of God's sanctuary or his house, uh, the, the temple presence, the tabernacle. To reverence the sanctuary is to keep the Sabbath. In other words, the sanctuary presence of God is deeply connected to the Sabbath day of rest. So the sanctuary demands the Sabbath. Um, and quite possibly, maybe, we should start asking the question, if the sanctuary uh, demanded the Sabbath, and that was a way to reverence his sanctuary, is by observing Sabbath as ordained by God. Th the question we should start asking is, hey, quite possibly, does the Sabbath require the physical sanctuary in Israel to actually be observed in its original intended capacity and to actually do the Sabbath the way it was intended for the people of Israel as a sign of the covenant between God and Israel, does it require the sanctuary to be physically present? It's a question you should start asking. Um, what you're also going to see is eventually Israel kind of shifts to one extreme. They completely abandon the Sabbath. They give themselves to idolatry. They're purged from the land. And God says, hey, you guys didn't regard my Sabbath. You didn't give the land rest. You didn't rest and trust me. And that's one of the main reasons why they're removed from the land. Apart from bloodshed and murder and idolatry and, and sexual immorality and just overall rejection of God, the, the, the complete disregarding of the Sabbath becomes one of the main reasons God removes the people from the land. Okay, so, and then you're going to see Israel take this really big shift 
And then it's going to be, oh, let's use the Sabbath as a means to justify our life of sinfulness. Like as long as we regard the Sabbath, since it's such a big deal to God, since it's a sign of the covenant, let's really focus on that. And let's not really regard the other commands, like forget idolatry, forget sexual morality. The Sabbath and observing that becomes a means to justify my sinfulness on the other days of the week and on the Sabbath. And they start to see the Sabbath as almost like the safeguard uh, from any punishment on their present sin. Leviticus 19, 1 through 4. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Hey, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Say to them, you shall be holy, set apart, distinct from different, otherly. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. So here's the way the people of Israel are to be different, set apart unto God from the other nations. Well, revere your mommy and daddy. Okay, be respectful, submit to them. Keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Of all the commandments God could have picked, out of the specifically the 10 on the written on the tablets, he could have said anything. Hey, don't murder people. And it's not like those things aren't implied. But the point is he does specifically call out two commandments. Hey, respect mom and dad. Hey, keep my Sabbath. Those are the two that often get overlooked. I mean, at least in my modern context, when we talk about 10 commandments, um, th th those are often the two that get glossed right over. And it's like, well, don't murder, don't steal, don't sleep around unless you're married, you know, with your wife, of course. Don't uh, commit idolatry, uh, commit yourself to the Lord your God, don't covet, that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, God is equally concerned with Sabbath keeping and respecting parents and respecting mom and dad and submitting to their authority. Don't turn to idols. So he brings idolatry into the picture. Or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So God is holy, set apart, which is why Israel would keep his Sabbath. Honoring parents actually has much to do with keeping the Sabbath unto God. There is a connection there. I haven't quite figured out how deep it goes, but there is a connection between honoring parents and keeping Sabbath for the nation of Israel. Idolatry is also connected to Sabbath. In other words, uh, keeping the Sabbath Remember, is reverencing or respecting the sanctuary of God, which means the Sabbath has a relationship with the sanctuary of God. And because uncleanness is an issue as regards the sanctuary of God, this brings in the element of sexual morality and idolatry. To commit sexual immorality, to commit idolatry, is to dishonor the sanctuary presence of God. It's to approach God with with uncleanness. It's to violate his commands. It's to not treat his presence as holy and to function as the holy people of God. And so um, the Sabbath is tied to the temple location as well as the Sabbath is also connected to avoiding specific activities such as sexual immorality and idolatry. In other words, honoring the Sabbath involves abstaining from sexual immorality and idolatry. It involves honoring parents, which seems like, hey, honoring the Sabbath and observing the Sabbath is more than just doing no ordinary work. It's more than just resting. Another dimension is that to honor the Sabbath effectively, it involves actually doing the other commands of God on that day rather than neglecting them in the name of the Sabbath, which is what Jesus accuses the people of doing. <laughs> Are we, is there a day to uphold life and to, uh, like if, if, uh, I forget what the situation is, but he essentially says, look, 
Uh, is the Sabbath a day to uphold life, to save life, right? Or to tear it down, to break it? And so in other words, the Israelites will eventually see the Sabbath observance as, as a cop-out to keep living in sin, as a way to, to justify sin. Well, we're observing the Sabbath. No, parting, part of observing the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath involves actually doing the other things God commands. And if you're not, you're not truly regarding the Sabbath as holy. And if you only obey the commands of God on the Sabbath, then you're saying something about the presence of God and, and you're also violating His laws and, and disobeying Him um, in a way that almost makes your observance to the Sabbath mean nothing. If I, observe, if I live holy on Saturday, which is how the church functions nowadays, except it's Sunday, right? If, if I live holy Saturday, it's like, oh, all, all unto God, a day of rest, no working, I trust you. Then Sunday through Friday, I live like the most evil, depraved, wicked person on the planet. Does that even like, does my observance of the Sabbath mean anything at that point? Does it? You would go, of course, God honors people who honor even the smallest bit of his law. Isaiah chapter one, it says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's calling Sodom and Gomorrah, they're gone. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? What's interesting here is that the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors who would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. I don't believe that Isaiah or God through Isaiah is speaking to the dead rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, but essentially Israel has become Sodom and Gomorrah. They're the, now the spiritual seed of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just another version. They've just become likened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, the, the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So they're bringing their sinfulness and their idolatry and their sexually immoral hearts into these gatherings. They're gathering not as the people of God anymore, but as people who have become like those of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're gathering on the Sabbath, they're gathering on the new moon, they're gathering at the feast, feastal celebrations. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. God, you told us to observe the feasts. You told us Sabbath and new moon is something we should, we should uh, observe. Why, why you hate these? They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. I think the, the irony here and the, the kind of play on words is um, that the Sabbath is to not be a burden. It's to be a delight. Uh, and we'll see this uh, a little later. The Sabbath is to be a delight, not a burden. It's become a burden to God that they're doing these things. Um, when God says, I'll, I'll, and Jesus comes and he says, uh, come to me all who are weary, I'll, you can come under my burden, it's light. My, my yoke is easy. And so it's almost like God is tired of bearing the burden of their sinful assemblies. And guess what? Their observance of the Sabbath 
does not override their sin. It's not like God looking at their life is going, man, you just murdered like nine people, but you did observe the Sabbath. So, I mean, I got to give you some blessing and I got to say like, you my guy. God doesn't do that. It's the, the sin and the perversion and the darkness overshadows and even distorts any observance of, of new moon or feast or Sabbath that, that you know these people are doing. There are people who will place the Sabbath on such a high pedestal that it's almost like as long as you do that, we won't say it, but it's as if nothing else really matters as long as you hold to that. No, the Sabbath is highly regarded. It's a big deal. It's a sign of a covenant between God and Israel forever. That's a very big responsibility. Very valuable, much of a delight. But to make that almost something we can do to get out of the consequences for all our other sin is to place it on a higher pedestal than God actually puts it on himself. And I think people inadvertently do that. They spend so much time pushing Sabbath and that they're not calling people out, out, of, out of sin and out of darkness and into holiness. They're calling people into just the Sabbath. And they just hyper-focus on Sabbath. And it's all about Sabbath. And now oh, the problem with the church is Sabbath. And the people that don't love God, they don't observe Sabbath. And people that do, they do observe. They make Sabbath everything. Apparently, from the mouth of God himself, Sabbath is not everything. It actually can become a burden to him that he's tired of bearing. Okay. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. It seems like God does, because he instituted it, he does love and value Sabbath. To make that everything is a problem. Don't do that. Don't do that. I know some of you that run around and you just always pull in the Sabbath card. You just want to drive every conversation back to Sabbath. Any, any, Christian, any Christian you meet, you're not listening to anything they're saying. All you're thinking about is how can I insert the Sabbath and make them know they need to hold to that. And you make it everything. Stop doing that. <laughs> Isaiah 56 two, Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So guess what? Just because you observe a day of rest on Saturday and go, well, it's unto God, if you're living in sin and you're not keeping your hands from evil, you're profaning that Sabbath. Let not the foreigner, let's go to verse six. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it, who holds fast my covenant. These all bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So far from these texts, we've seen honoring the Sabbath involves obeying the other commands of God. Not just on the Sabbath, but especially on the Sabbath in addition to the rest of your life. The Sabbath didn't, doesn't override sin. It doesn't overshadow their wickedness, right? Actually, sin overrides any observance to Sabbath as if to pervert it. So that it, it didn't actually matter to God when Israel did that. He actually hated it. That's what Isaiah said. He hated it because it was perverted with sin and constant corruption. And also, honoring the Sabbath means not profaning it. And also, it's holding fast to the covenant of God. And it involves what? 
It involves loving the name of the Lord. One of the ways to express love for God, as the nation of Israel would do, is that they would keep the Sabbath and not profane it. They were holding fast to the covenant God made with them. That was a sign and a symbol of it, right? So, for those of you that are just all about beating the Sabbath and just using that to beat people over the head, all day, every day, all you want to talk about is Sabbath. All you care about is that people observe Sabbath. You don't care about sexual morality. You don't care about purity. You don't care about integrity. You don't care about time in the Word. You don't care about love and charity and grace and patience and mercy. You just want to drive that one thing home all the time. Can I, to represent many of the people that you've interacted with, may I say, that, that gets annoying. <laughs> it, it drives people away when you just drive that same thing as if to be the ultimate thing in the sight of God. You know what is ultimate in the sight of God? His son. So if you're going to bring up Sabbath, let's bring people to the son through or with the Sabbath. And ultimately, if there's going to be any observance, let it find its, its central focus around the son. Enough of that. <laughs> Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. It says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, God calls the Sabbath his holy day. But guess what? It is your pleasure, Israel. It is good for you. It is for your benefit. The day belongs to God as his set-apart day but it's, it is to be a, an honorable day of delight and pleasure, okay? And if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Does God care about the Sabbath? Yes. Is it ultimate? No. Is it a sign of the covenant God made with Israel as a nation? Absolutely. Does that make it ultimate? No, Christ is ultimate. They're not, not, they're not at odds, but the Sabbath finds its purpose, its achieved, uh, intended end in Christ, which we'll talk about what that means later. Okay, The Sabbath is to be a pleasure and a delight. Profaning the Sabbath would be to do your own way and to go, ah, I don't want to do what God wants. Not just regarding the Sabbath, but also any other command, right? Seeking your own pleasure, because the Sabbath is to be a pleasure for you to enjoy. But then you can pervert that and go, I'm all about my pleasure, and then you've perverted. Or talking idly, this right here, to, to use your mouth to profane, to tear people down, to break down people, and go, ah, I'm observing the Sabbath. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not in a way that honors God. Whatever you think you're doing, it's not honoring the Sabbath. There are people that will substitute love with Sabbath. And they will think that, you know what? They're, maybe they're blind to it. And they're so driven by just this main thing. The church doesn't observe, observe Sabbath. The, the Catholic Church changed it to Sunday. It's a, you know, and it's the mark of the beast in Revelation. Uh, Sabbath, the people aren't going to observe it. They're so driven by that that they neglect actually loving people. And they think by driving the Sabbath in a rude, aggressive, arrogant kind of way, they're actually loving people. Well, I'm concerned with their soul. You, you haven't done anything to benefit them, to care for them, to serve them, except to hammer the Sabbath home in a way where they don't want to talk to you anymore. And so we should not substitute what matters most to God, love. Uh, 
with anything else. Sabbath. I'm not saying those things are at odds, right? I'm not saying, you know, you either love or you keep the Sabbath. I'm saying one of the ways we love is by doing what God says. And if it includes the Sabbath, it includes the Sabbath. But I'm never going to say, well, I'm not going to love people. Instead, I will just observe Sabbath. Because I know people who are like, ah, oh, Sabbath day of rest, and they're jerks all day. They're rude and mean and aggressive, and they don't love, and they don't serve, and there's no, uh, you know, compassion in their heart, not just on the Sabbath, but on any other day of the week. Can you become religious about it? Sure. God rebukes Israel for doing it. He said he hates their observance of it because it's polluted. So Isaiah 66 says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring in your name remain, Israel, from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me. I will say this, the Sabbath is actually used as a time marker and a reference point here for, for how long the name and the offspring of Israel will remain before the Lord. So this time marker, potentially, God is using from Sabbath to Sabbath, from Saturday to Saturday, right? From my holy day to my holy day. That time marker might be a reference point in new creation for sure. Um, like there's, there's potential for that. I'm not overlooking it, but at least it's used as a parallel to the continual nature of new creation, like new creation, new heavens and the new earth, they will remain, they will continue, they will last. Um, and then these seem to be reference points for, you know, just how long will there still be these reference points in new creation? Will God still work with uh, if there is a presented calendar and however time works out in new creation, will there still be this concept of God references certain moments by their proximity to Sabbath or he uses them as time markers? I don't know. You can speculate all you want. I don't know. Uh, let me take you to Exodus 23 now. Because the Sabbath, yes, is connected to the feast and sacrifices and the temple presence of God, but there's also, there's bigger versions of Sabbath. Just like, uh, I don't want to talk about Pokemon because everyone's like, you demon, you play Pokemon. Conversation for another day. Exodus 23. Well, now that I've said it, if you play Pokemon, you know there's like bigger versions of Pokemon. I mean, I just got the new game and there's all of a sudden there's just like, I don't even know what the Colossus Pokemon. It's like, what? There's Dynamax? There's, there's Gigantamax? How many different giant versions can there be? And I feel like the Sabbath, I'm not making Sabbath equal to Pokemon. So for those of you that are going to like... Sound clip this, whatever, have your way. Back off. But I'm just trying to make the parallel that there are bigger versions of the Sabbath. There are Sabbath years. Um, there are, there's the, the year of Jubilee, which is like the ultimate Sabbath. Exodus 23, it says, Six years you shall, you shall sow your land, gather in its yield, but the seventh year, seventh year. Okay, we're going to see how the, the number seven has a, is a pattern in scripture, referring to completion, fulfillment, um, so, the seventh year, let it rest and lie fallow. So that, why? It's not just for the land. It's not just for you. It's so that the poor of your people may eat. As an Israelite, for a whole year, every seventh year, think about this, for those of you that have land, for those of you that have harvest, and you know what it's like to like, produce from your field and, and tend to an, you know, a field for those of you that know the, the work and labor it takes and how beautiful it is to bring food in. Think about this. A whole year, you're doing nothing with your property or your land. No garden work, 
No sowing, no planting, no tilling, no watering, no none of that. For a whole year. So that everything that does grow is given to the people that don't have enough themselves. Laced within God's ideal, like the way that God wants people to function, the way Israel was supposed to function as a theocracy, laced within that was provision for the poor. God provided for the poor, not by making them not poor, but by giving them what they needed from the abundance of others. So that no matter what, there is a participation, whether you're coming to get or you're giving so they can get. The poor, during the seventh year, every seven-year cycle, they would have all that they would see in the, in the fields. And what they leave the beast, the field can have. Do likewise with your vineyard, with your olive orchard. Mm. You know how hard that would be for people to do now? <laughs> you know how much trust that takes to really believe, especially if you live off your land, to believe God will take care of you and to not do anything with it? You can sow and gather for six years. The seventh year, leave it alone. Six days do your work. On the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. Remember how I said God was refreshed, right? The seven-day creation account. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Well, now he's inviting other people to come and be refreshed. So the Sabbath here is given as a gift for creation to lay at rest. The land the animals, the people, for the poor to have what they need. This is instituted for the nation of Israel. There's a time of refreshing that especially comes not just on Saturday, but on the every seventh year on the Jewish calendar. So this idea of refreshing um, can be seen in Exodus 31, 17, um, where it says God was refreshed, right? And then, weirdly enough, in Acts chapter 3, verse 20, when Peter's preaching a fire sermon, he tells them, hey, repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and that times of what? Refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So that God invites people into refreshing. Come and be refreshed. This is Jesus' invitation in uh, Matthew chapter, I think, 11. Come to me, all who are weary. So, the Sabbath is a gift for creation, land, animals, people, <sighs> to be refreshed. Be refreshed. And don't worry, I will give you like an exhaustive list after this of everything that we've said. I'll recount, I promise. Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, hey, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath. I didn't know land could keep a Sabbath. Apparently it can. For six years, sow your field. For six years, prune your vineyard. Gather in its fruits. In the seventh year, you're doing none of that. There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap. <sighs> harvest? Can't even harvest? What grows of itself in your harvest? Or gather the grapes of your undressed vine 
It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land. So notice how the word Sabbath, the, the ceasing, the stopping, the desisting, it's not a day anymore. It's an entire year. He calls that rest for the land, which is a year-long period, a Sabbath. The Sabbath of the land shall provide for you, for yourself, for your family, your workers, the sojourners, for your cattle and animals, all in your land. It shall, its yield shall be for food. The Sabbath of the land. So, the Sabbath is more than a day. It's an experience of cycles of seven. My periods of seven, there are sabbatical years and there are days throughout the week, a day throughout the week, which is called the Sabbath. Both are for the people to be refreshed and the land and the animals. So the land of Israel itself, notice how the land, the specific promised land area of the nation is connected to Sabbath rest. I know there's a lot of scriptures that are firing off in your mind right now and you're going, oh my gosh, Joshua, oh my gosh, Hebrews. Yes, go make those connections. The point is the seventh year becomes a Sabbath for the land um, so that, again, it's not just about a day, but it's a specific year, a period of years, as well as specific months, like for Passover. So the Sabbath of the land ends up providing for the people what they need. And this is why Jesus says, I think, well, actually, when we get to the year of Jubilee, I'll bring Jesus into this. Not yet. So not only are there periods of seven, every seven years, but there's the 50th year, which ends the seven cycles of seven. Right? Seven times seven is 49. Good job. So third grade math done. 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And we'll see this in Leviticus chapter 25, 11 through 12. Um... The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself. Just like the Sabbath, uh, the seventh year, right? Every seventh year, leave the ground alone. Don't till it. Don't sow it. Um, don't reap what grows of itself. It is a jubilee. Notice how the Sabbath gets bigger and bigger. It's like Sabbath, every seventh year. Year of jubilee, the ultimate Sabbath. This is the Megazord of Sabbaths. It is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. You can eat what's been produced by your work, right? In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. So we have debt elimination. We have land returning. We have people getting back what has been lost. And people who are, you know, um, leaving contracts and going back to their families. Debt is being canceled and... Um, and out by God, it's, a, it's an act of mercy. It's a demonstration of God being merciful to us in the year of Jubilee. And so when you read Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is essentially saying, hey, I'm the ultimate Sabbath. And we'll get to this when we talk more about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is his first official reading in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Right, so there's an order, and Jesus knew, or maybe he didn't, I don't know. But either way, God planned that this passage in Isaiah would be that portion of the, of the um, Tanakh that would be read. Jesus unrolls the scroll on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, as was typical for Jewish 
person, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay? The poor are getting good news. Hmm. Sounds like the, the seventh year on every cycle of sevens. It sounds like the year of Jubilee, that the poor who are in debt, paying off their debt, can go free. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim the good news of what? That it is the year of the Lord's favor, which essentially he's saying, I am bringing that and I am the substance and fulfillment of the Lord's favor. That year, the year of Jubilee, yeah, it was foreshadowing Christ. It's pointing to Jesus. All the sevens in the Bible find some connection to Jesus. Um, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 20 and 21, it says, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. Part of the reason the people were sent into exile was so the land could enjoy the Sabbath that the people of Israel seemed to have never given the land. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So 10 cycles of seven are given to the land of Israel. 10 cycles of seven, both the number 10 and the number seven have great significance. Um, hmm. uh, go read Leviticus chapter 26, verse 34 through 43. Okay, it's just gonna repeat what I've already said. I don't think it's necessary that the Sabbath is enjoyed by the land every seven years. Uh, it rests when it's not plowed or worked. Um, Israel refused to do that, right? So they're thrust out of the land. It's one of the main reasons they're kicked out of the land is because they disregarded the Sabbath, which got instituted as a gift for them and the animals and the land, okay? Now I wanna show you that the Sabbath actually involves and is actually purposed for a time of remembrance. Time of remembrance. Before we jump into that, quick potty break, because it is what it is. God showed the love when I went bed sin. God showed the die for me. Boom, five, eight. God showed the love when I went bed sin. God showed the die for me. Boom, five, eight. God showed the love Chosen lover, God chosen lover, chosen lover, God chosen lover. God chosen lover, when I was bad sin, God chosen die for me. Boom five eight. God chosen lover, when I was bad sin. God chose to die for me. Boom, five, eight. God chose a lover, chose a lover. God chose a lover, chose a lover. God chose a lover, 
So the Sabbath day, Deuteronomy chapter 5, is to be observed and kept. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Stop. Cease. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, or the stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Remember. So not only is rest given to the Israelites, but anyone in the land. Those who are servants, those who are strangers, those who are in debt and contract. The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, or in other words, here's why the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So but the Sabbath day is admitting that Israel was redeemed and rescued by God. Israel is remembering they used to be slaves and the Sabbath brings that memory to mind. It's remembrance of the fact that we used to be slaves but God redeemed us. It was a weekly reminder of where they'd come from and how they got to where they were and it was to be an expression of love and gratitude. So God commands the Sabbath because they were slaves at one time. Did you catch that? because they were slaves at one time. Uh, almost like inviting them into a new freedom. You used to be slaves. Let me show you what freedom looks like. It looks like resting and obeying and trusting. Nehemiah 9 says, You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with us from heaven. You gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath. And you commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. So notice what God is doing here. He speaks. He gives them laws, commandments, statutes. He reveals his Sabbath. Um, he gives bread from heaven. He feeds and provides, right? Um, he gives them water. He empowers them to take the land and possess it. So but the Sabbath here was actually concealed and hidden at one time until it was the right time for God to make it known to his people Israel. And so also uh, Nehemiah, or whoever's speaking here, is making a connection between the Sabbath and the laws, the statutes, the commands. But it is singled out. Among all the other laws God gave to his, his people, he does single out that God gave the Holy Sabbath a day of rest, a gift. And so the giving of the Sabbath is one of the many things God does in this passage. Uh, but it's, it's, it's connected to the other laws as well. Um, I could probably spend quite a few... There's a lot of times where disobedience comes with judgment in the Old Testament. But specifically, it's disobedience regarding the Sabbath. Like Nehemiah chapter 13. Um, it's just a lot of scripture to read. These are like big portions, and we have about nine minutes. So um, Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22 will tell us that, uh, you know, the people of Israel were bringing in heaps of grain, loading donkeys, 
and, and buying and engaging in, in commerce, marketplace commerce on the Sabbath day, and they were profaning it by bearing burdens, by making wine, by, by bringing in loads. Um, and because of that violation, God punished them. They were trying to make a profit. Interestingly enough, the Gentiles exploited the Israelites and their Sabbath day. So if the Israelites were going to be at rest and not doing any, not do anything, you know, the unbelieving Gentile pagans would come in, exploit that, and try and make a profit off of their not doing anything and say, hey, come and buy from us. God said not to. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 through 24 is another passage I would go to. God gives the Sabbath as a sign between him and them, the people of Israel, that they might know he is the Lord who sanctifies them. And it talks about how like that's why the people of Israel are removed from the land. The Sabbath is a big emphasis in Ezekiel chapter 20. Uh, the verse 12 to 24, the Sabbath is a big emphasis. Um, it's the sign of the covenant that they might know he is the Lord. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 23 through 26, talks about how they've disregarded the Sabbaths and they were profaned and they profaned the Sabbath and they didn't treat it as holy and set apart. Uh, same with Ezekiel 23, 28 through 39. Um, talks about how actually, let's go here. This will probably be a good place to go. Ezekiel 23, it says, Moreover, this they've done to me. They've defiled my sanctuary on the same day and they profane my Sabbaths. Notice how the defilement of the sanctuary and the profaning of the Sabbath, those are two different ideas, but they're connected. When they slaughter their children and sacrifice to their idols. So murder is the defilement. Sacrificing to idols is the defilement. On the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it. This is what they did in my house. So these people are engaging in these kinds of wicked activities and coming before God like they ain't doing nothing. Here we are, Lord. It's another Sabbath. Here to worship. You just slaughtered your children and sacrificed to false gods. You committed idolatry. You spiritually cheated on God as, as the only true and living God. You're defiling the sanctuary and profaning the Sabbath. So idolatry is especially a violation of the Sabbath. You're not observing the Sabbath. Even if you're doing everything you're supposed to on that day, you're not observing the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath if you're engaging in idolatry. Like your action of, I'm honoring the Sabbath, I'm resting, that's voided by the evil and wickedness of the sinful Israelites. So these people were bringing uncleanness to us to a clean space where God dwelt. Mm -mm. No bueno. That is not good. Ezekiel 44, watch this. The Sabbath actually presents an image of clean, unclean, or common, uncommon. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the clean and unclean. In a dispute, they shall act as judges. They shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed feasts and keep my Sabbath holy. They shall not defile themselves by going near to a dead person, whether father or mother, son or daughter, brother or unmarried sister, they may defile themselves. Like they can defile themselves for them um, because they're close relatives. So the keeping of the Sabbath day holy um, is related to actually um, the distinction between holy and, and common. The Sabbath day is a unique set apart day unto God. It's his day, different from the other days. Just as they're God's people set apart from the other pagan nations. 
just as there are clean and unclean laws within Israel. This is common, this is unclean, this is ordinary, don't engage with this, don't touch this, don't eat this. That same distinction is being clearly demonstrated with the Sabbath. Um, and so there is a seven-day theme. Like if you read the Bible, the number seven is actually linked to wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, um, which is why we see the Sabbath day of rest. You, you have to ask yourself, why is the day of rest on the seventh day? Okay. And in the Old Testament, you'll get your answer. Go read Exodus 24, 15 through 17. Go read Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14, Leviticus 23. You've never heard someone tell you to read Leviticus so much. Leviticus 25, Numbers 31, Joshua 6. All these passages will show you the consistency of the number seven and how it relates to Sabbath. So to recap, everything that the Old Testament has said about the Sabbath. Sabbath is a command of God to the nation of Israel. It's a solemn day of rest dedicated to God. It's a day to cease ordinary common work, right? Even commerce in the marketplace. It's a gift of God to the nation of Israel for the land, for the people, for the animals to rest. It's a foreshadowing of Christ with the manna, with the rest, with the finishing of the labor. It's a time of refreshing. Um, it's an imitation of God who rested on the seventh day. It's a sign between Israel and God of the Sinai Mosaic Covenant. Just like the Noahic and Abrahamic covenant had signs as well and symbols. It's a holy reminder that God sanctifies his people. Um, it's attached to the, to the main feast of Israel and the sacrifices that accompany them. Um, each of those feasts find themselves having a functional Sabbath day or a, or a high Sabbath. Um, it's connected to the physical tabernacle presence of God. Now, the Sabbath is experienced individually and communally. Now, the Sabbath day rest on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement is a reminder God sanctifies and God cleanses his people. And he actually does that through the temple system. Um, the Sabbath is not disconnected from the other Ten Commandments as if to be an excuse to violate the others. Honoring the Sabbath is honoring God's commands. Um, the Sabbath involves the table of showbread, the bread of the presence, and the, the high priesthood being able to uh, enjoy that food offering. Um, the Sabbath day has a bigger version in the form of an entire year every seven years, as well as the ultimate year of Jubilee, the 50th year. The Sabbath is a, a reverencing of God's sanctuary, and it's a reminder of their past slavery and God's redemptive work. It's a set-apart day for a set-apart people, um, for set-apart work. Right? No common ordinary work, but the priestly work of the temple continues. So on Wednesday... We're going to talk about how Jesus uh, confronts the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath and how what they had turned that into. Jesus seems to purposely target the Sabbath quite a bit in every single gospel. Um, how We're going to talk about how Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. What do we mean that he is the greater Sabbath? He is the true rest. And then we'll talk about is the Sabbath day required as a command for God's people? Did the Sabbath day change to Sunday? We'll talk about that um, on Wednesday, which will be the last final episode to wrap up this whole series on what about the Mosaic Law, okay? So if you guys didn't already know, um, this is my full-time job to support my wife and two kids. This is an online ministry. God called us to start in Florida. We left California, packed our bags in faith, moved out here, and you can visit Above Reproach Ministry to find out all the free stuff we have. 
You can discover our free devotional studies, free Bible study courses, um, free Bible study sheets, um, Bible study workshops. You can join our online church, all this stuff. You can get a copy of my book. You can support this ministry because we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you want to give, uh, you can give through, through uh, right here on this page, straight through your debit credit card. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. Become a monthly patron. You get a bunch of exclusive benefits. You can buy some church merch, which you should see linked in the YouTube video already. Just sitting there in the shop. Um, and you can get also um, any of the, the Bible workout plans that haven't yet been released. Like eventually these will be released in a free way when I get to them throughout the next couple years. But for those that want to shortcut the process and get it now, all the hard work, the complete Bible study program I've created where you build four essential foundational Bible study skills. You can get that now in the Teespring shop, um, as well as a cute little mug with our logo on it. All right. But I encourage you to join the Discord community, which is our online church. Um, meet all the time, pray, talk about Jesus, grow closer together. Um, I'm still trying to catch up on stuff so I can really get back into it. So I think that's it today, guys. God bless you. Thanks for watching. That is what the Old Testament says about the Sabbath. I'll see you guys later. Join us Wednesday. It's going to be lit. That's what the kids say, at least.